You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Well, 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 good morning, 1030, 10, 10 o'clock, sounds good. You've been worshiping for 20 minutes. Time flies by when you're having so much fun. I love worshiping with you guys. I love crying out to our Lord and Savior together. He is holy, holy, and he is worthy, worthy. Amen. We're an amen type of church. We can amen it up here. Uh, excited to be here today. I've got my compadre, Michael Reyes, co-founding pastor here, uh, campus pastor for our Moscow campus. Give it up for Michael. Oh, he hasn't done anything yet, but still give it up for him. No. Um, so excited to be here. We're diving into our second week on our vision series and um, excited to see what God's continuing to do. Uh, within our church. As you saw uh, last week, if you didn't catch last week's message, uh, jump online and catch it. But we talked about uh, really the vision about reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. And that is the vision of your church. That is the vision of what God has called us to, is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. We talked about how your story matters and your boldness to share your story, your boldness to show off God and how he has worked through your life matters. And so today, that was really the, that's the why, the why, why are we doing what we're doing? Well, we're doing it because we want to reach the world for Jesus 1% of the time. And, and really today is about the how. Well, how do we reach the world for Jesus 1% of the time? How do we share our story? How do I have a story? How do I know what it looks like? How do I know how to, how to even function in, in this world with social media and all these things that are going on? How do I, how do I share my story? What does it look like? And I brought somebody up here that has modeled to me how relationship matters more than anybody really I've ever met. Michael and Rose are amazing uh, at doing that, and a relationship matters to them. So I asked Michael to come up. And so our mission, the way that we uh, accomplish this vision of reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time is by creating biblical disciples. No? Okay. Uh, Creating biblical disciples uh, through relational environments. And so as we go through this today, there's lots of text for you to to dive in and look at on your own at home, and I'm sure we'll hit some stuff, but as we go through this today, I want you to start identifying the relational environments uh, that you observe. So I don't know if you guys have have really uh, heard too much of of Michael's story and and how he got to be here and what he's doing in life and and how this path came for him to be the co uh, founding pastor of Real Life on the Palouse, but I was going to ask Michael, Michael, I want you to share with us a little bit of your journey and, and, and where it's taken you here. All right, thanks for letting me share today. Um, try to make this as quickly as possible because there's so much stuff I'd love to just share with you today, but there's no way I'm going to be able to get through that. But uh, I grew up in church uh, as little as I can remember. I remember going to, my parents have pictures of me at summer camp and in diapers. And so uh, they were youth uh, pastors during periods of time that I was in church. My uncle was the pastor of our church. And uh, even though I grew up in church, when I left and got out of the house, I quickly realized that there were some key components missing that somehow didn't transfer over to me as a, as a young man. Part of it was, I mean, church for me was like you go to church on Sunday, go watch football, then you come back and watch Sunday, or, uh, Sunday night service. And then you have prayer meeting on Tuesday, and then you have Bible study on Wednesday. And if you did those things, you could check those off. I am a Christian. I'm a follower of God, follower of Christ. But as I got out, one of the things that I quickly realized that I had never really built any real relationships other than my family. 
There wasn't a lot of people that I was connected to in church. It's nothing bad. It's just that's what it was. And I found myself quickly going through what I call my seven years of tribulation here on earth. And this was like God keep, you know, take another lap, take another lap. And it wasn't until um, God, through circumstances, I was married. I had a, had a kid at 19, and there was a divorce and all that stuff. But it wasn't until I actually met my wife, who was my friend at the time. But through her and the relationship that we had, I started to understand that real relationship and when people care about each other, it makes a difference in your life. And so uh, through that process, I started to trust people and do some things that, that was going on. I had all kind of noise around me, and I didn't really trust people. But through, through Rosemary and our relationship, I started to build what, what a real relationship would look like. And so um, as we then progressed and um, I got out of that seven years and started to want to pursue and do different things as being married and then wanting to be a father, um, her hunger for wanting to know more about God is what really kind of ignited me again. I've heard the truth. I'd seen it in, in people's lives, but I'd never actively, actively lived it out. And so we decided that we were going to pursue that and that we were going to look what that meant to be. So we started to get in different churches when we come up here to Moscow, and we made some friends, and, and it was a good time in our life. But it wasn't until God took us from Moscow to, Port, to Portland and then eventually to Coeur d'Alene is where we began to really understand what these relationships that we are talking about, what our church talks about, what they really mean. And when we went to Portland, uh, my son was still in Coeur d'Alene, and we made a promise to God if he ever said, um, would you become and move closer to me, that we would honor that. And we prayed about that. God, you would just, that day will come. A lot of stuff going on. But uh, one day, he was visiting uh, summer, va summer vacation between his eighth grade year and his ninth grade year, and he had that conversation with us. So that was Rosemary and I's real first, like, okay, we've told God, you know, this is what we're going to do. What are we going to do? And so within 30 days, we moved to Coeur d'Alene, no job, just leaped out in faith. And that was one of the best things we had ever done. And I believe that that was part of just being obedient to God. And then as we got there to Coeur d'Alene, then um, we started looking for churches and we started visiting different churches and trying to figure out where we would fit in. And uh, we kind of had zeroed it down to two different churches. And finally, I said, you know, we've got to get um, grounded somewhere. We got to start making friends and, and, and doing life together with people. And I didn't even know what that really looked like at the time, but I knew it was important. And uh, we finally were at, at Real Life in Post Falls. And there was a sermon in regards to um, something that was going on in the church. And, and it was like, you know, some not, some not so nice stuff was going on. But, but it was like, we are going to be a group of people who are going to be committed to these people. And we're going to walk alongside of them. We're not going to judge them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to love on them. And it was the first time that I had ever experienced, like, realness. Like, this is real. This isn't something they're just going to hide and put away, which I'd been a part of in the church I grew up when I was little. You don't talk about those things. You don't do these things. And so we came home that afternoon, and we said, that's our church. And so quickly, we, we, we heard about these things called care groups and small groups. And we were still kind of just trying to navigate, what does this look like for us? And uh, through that, I got involved in a few little things, got involved into uh, church basketball. What do we call it? What was it called? Fight again? night. What, fight night? Fight yeah, night. Fight yeah, night. 
And in that process, I mean, I, I had met Aaron a few times before, and, and uh, we kind of knew just because he was one of the founding pastors and, and whatnot, and I knew Kelly a little bit because of worship and some things there. <clears throat> but these guys, Josh was on that team, and so was Aaron, and another guy, uh, Doran Thomas, was on that team, and he invited me to a care group. So not knowing what that looked like, Rosemary and I said, hey, we're going to try this out. And I remember the first night we were there, we were like so nervous, like, they're going to just tell us all the things we're doing wrong, and here's what we need to do, and you need to do, you know, read all these things. And it was farthest from the thought we could ever think of. We were welcomed in. These people wanted to hear our story. And then as we processed the lesson, which was really not a lesson, we were just in God's word. We were just talking about real life things, and how does this apply to you, and how does it, and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm hearing real conversation and real struggles with people. And we talked about it, and it was still uncomfortable because we never really did that before. But we kept continuing to going and going. And like you heard Josh's story last week, uh, very similar. We resonated with his story because it was even some of the same people, uh, Doug Smoot, who talked to him. Well, one of the care groups Doug Smoot came to uh, the night just to check on his guys that were leading the care group. And something happened, and, and there was just this awkwardness in the room, and there was quiet time, which for those of you who are in care groups, you know that silence is okay, right? We, we don't want to rescue people. But this was like this deep, deep, deep down hurt. Like, we need to stop what we're doing. and we need. So I just said, hey, why don't we just not do what we usually do and just pray over this person, right? Nothing special, nothing unique. It's just God put it on my heart. Well, a couple of days later, I get a call from Doug Smoot, and he said, hey, I really appreciated what you did, and I just, maybe, I just see something. There's something that uh, maybe, you, maybe you could do the same thing. So as you can already see, we had people who were investing in us in that relational environment, and through that, I, I was able to now become a care group leader. And so we did care groups and, and whatnot before, and then um, we were going through a really rough time because we... Uh, we're having a house built, and we were living downtown Coeur d'Alene, and we had an issue that we had to move out of our house before our house was built. And so I remember Rosemary and I were just going through some major struggles financially, just life and everything, and uh, we got into a doozy, one of those intense moments of fellowship that you hear us say all the time. She was ready to just she would ready, ready, he says a Diet Coke. She was ready to, to um, trade me in for a cup of mud. I mean, it was not good. And I just remember her saying to me, we need to call Aaron. We need to call Aaron. I'm like, nope, nope, not going to do it. We need to call Aaron. Now, at this time, Aaron and I have grown a little bit closer, and we had been, you know, Kelly and I were leading worship together. We, it was awesome. It was amazing. And um, so we called him over. And I was so worried. Here's one of the founding pastors coming over to my house, and my wife's going to just tell on me <laughs> on everything that's going on. And, you know, it wasn't that. It was, it was more like, I'm here for you, whatever that is. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm here for you. And my family, we're, we're willing to, to walk a, song, a, long life, a long life with you and figure this out, whatever that might look like. And we told him the story, and he said, you know, well, we have a house we moved into. And it's got a full basement downstairs. And, uh, you know, I know this is a stressor on you, but things are going to be okay. Why don't you just come in and move with us? We were having a house that was built just, 
just a little around the corner from where they were. And we were like, oh my goodness, should we do this or, or what? I mean, we just, it was like, we'd never heard of anybody being, you know, just opening up and understanding. And so as we said yes, and everybody was telling us, no, don't do this. This is going to be horrible or whatever. It was for the first time, what I call like we ever felt outside of family, what real spiritual Christian relationships is all about. And during that time, God was doing some things with me. I was, I was start. I started. I, I got a job at Real Life, and there's a whole bunch of other circumstances. I was interviewing for another job, but then there was kind of the smoke and mirrors. And hey, there's a job for you here. It was another thing for me to to be obedient. God's calling me. I'd been running for a long time, so I did that. But what stood out to me the most was we were doing care groups and all that kind of stuff. But it was the first time that I'd ever had anybody who wanted to pour in my life pour into my life and tell me some of the things that I didn't see in myself or felt like, no, this is not true. I remember nights and nights just sitting in the backyard and just talking about life and just talking about, hey, you know, what's God doing in your life and being real and having real conversations. And for the first time to me, I was like, man, that is something I don't know if I could ever live without that in my life again because it was so impactful. Their family welcomed them. We were like family. It just felt so good. It was like family. So we then, our house was built, and we moved. And um, I was doing creative arts. Aaron was, I think he was part of the association of church stuff. I can't remember all the details. But he uh, what, he was uh, going to go preach in Hamilton, Montana. I love that. Here's the big, big church, and Aaron's still listening to God, and he's going to Hamilton, to Montana, to preach to about 10 or 15 people in a hotel conference room, and he asked me if I'd go do worship with him. And so, okay, I said, sure, that'd be fun, and we hung out. I think we watched Band of Brothers on the wall with some little remote little video thing. It was really cool. But uh, on the way home the next day, um, he starts to tell me about some of the things that God is doing in his life. And as the conversation progressed, he said, I think God's calling me to do something. I'm like, so what is he calling you to do? He says, I think he's calling me to go plant a church. And um, so let me back up just a, just a second before that. When I was there at Real Life, there's a thing that they make you go called Summit. And it's like a two, three-day thing where they kind of just rake you over the coals. But it's this leadership and self-deception thing, and this is who you are or who you think you are. And so for the first day or two, I was just emotionally tight, just a wreck. And I had to go back to Coeur d'Alene uh, to go to a, a sports ba- banquet for my oldest son, Alex. And uh, after I was done there, I was driving home, and I'm just emotional. I mean, it was just crazy. And it was sometime in October, I believe, or sometime of the rainy months, because as I was driving uh, back to Newport, um, the rain started to come down. It was just like, man, just like a movie. And the, the song, Word of God Speak, Would You Pour Down Like Rain, came on. And I loved that song at the time. And the next thing I know, because I'm not an emotional guy, but <laughs> I couldn't see the road anymore because I was crying so bad. And I had to pull over. And where God, he landed me safely was in the parking lot of Harvest Foods on the old Newport Highway. And I got out of the car and I said, Lord, I'm already in ministry already. Isn't that enough? What the blankety blank do you want from me? I'm serious. I was struggling so much with that. 
And after just kind of sitting there in silence, I was expecting for the thunder and the lightning and he was going to reveal this thing, but it wasn't. It was this soft little whisper. He says, I just want all of you. So I sat there for a while and processed that whole thing. And by the time I got back on the road, I said, Lord, never again, whatever you want, I will follow you. I'll do whatever it takes. So I'm flashing backwards, but now we come back to driving home. And here's Aaron, and he's like, and by the way, I want to go plant a church, and I'd like for you to come. I'd like for you to pray about it. So here comes this, this promise that I made, like three or four months later, real fast. And I knew by the time we got back to Coeur d'Alene that I was ready to go, and I couldn't say no. I knew I had to do some work on my wife, and that's a whole other story, but that was awesome. And so but all, all to say with that is that God was doing things in my life and walking me down this road, and the only way I believe that it could happen the way it did is because there were people along the way who invested in me relationship-wise, who were willing to tell me and do life with me, and brought us together for the purpose to do something even greater than I could even think about. And it was all because of those intentional, relational environments that we're talking about today. And of course, we came down here. Yeah. You think about it, go back, and as you think about the story of the people being involved, the promise of obedience that Michael had to his son, that if you need me, I'll drop it all. I'll come, I'll come running, and I'll, ta- I'll be there for you. And imagine your eighth-grade-year-old son or daughter saying, Mom, Dad, I need you. And you're just throwing it all off, like, okay, I will follow you because I'm going to be obedient. Like Leviticus, in your notes, says, Leviticus 3 says, if you follow my decrees and you're careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and grape harvest will continue until planting you will, uh, and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. God cries out to us to be obedient to be obedient in relationships that matter. The fruit of biblical relationship of somebody being obedient. To pull over, to cry out, to wrestle with God, and to chase him. So Michael, as you as you're start continuing on, uh, tell me about when, so you, you made this decision to, to leave the home that you guys had just built that you had been in for six months which is what you do, uh, to leave these great jobs that you had at this big church uh, to come down here for, uh, for what? Tell me about the vision and, and mission of, of, of like what happened for you guys come down here. Uh, some of you probably just a couple of weeks ago or whatever, we celebrated our 10th anniversary, and that was really cool just to look back. But when we first came down here, I'm, there was a couple things I remember Aaron and I talking about. If we could just change the reputation that God may have here in the community, that'd be awesome. If we just make the make this community think a different way about God, that would be great. But it was never like we got to go find the building. We got to look around and find a building. We got to go. We got to get you know connected to all the right people. No, we'd actually been Lord had been working and been bringing names to Aaron, and I lived here for four years. I knew people from that were still in this community. <clears throat> And what we started to do with a few other people who came to the first night to hear the vision of the church, that we committed to meeting together in small groups, talking about what, what, could we, what could we dream about what God could do if we were faithful to what he's calling us to do. 
And so I remember people, people like Rick and Teresa Taylor who came from Coeur d'Alene, moved down here, and they were a part of it in the beginning. Ray Lindquist, man, he was a champion then, and he's a champion now for what we do. And, and just sitting in there in, the, in that group and then branching from that group to another group where there's another care group. And then the colleagues who opened up their home in the very beginning, and we had different people from college kids to families coming together to just do life together. Then we moved to groups baptizing people in the backyards, and their and lives were being changed and transformed. And we were hearing and telling a better story about who our God was. And people were able to see God for who he really was. <clears throat> but it was because of those relationships. It wasn't because we had really amazing music or fantastic preaching because we didn't even have a service yet. This was just so, by the time we had our first preview service, we were over 200 and some people. But it wasn't because we did advertising. It wasn't because we did anything. It was because people were telling other people about what God was doing in their life. And they were like, I want to be a part of that. How can I be there? And so there was no master plan. It was kind of just coming down of what God was doing in Post Falls and then coming down here and duplicating that in a way that people would want to be a part of that, especially in a church community that was highly churched. It was something radically different than what was going on. So there was no real mastermind plan to just be obedient to what God was calling us to do, and that's to make disciples in those uh, relational environments. So you're, you're 10 years into this. You've seen it go from a couple small groups to 1,200 people, two campuses, five services, all those things. What is the vision and mission as the co-founding pastor of this church? What is the vision and mission now? I would say it's exactly the same. I don't think we've ever changed. I mean, we've, we've done different things here with the way we do worship and bigger places and stages and different buildings. And our preaching's gotten really amazingly great, right? It's awesome. But the mission has never really changed. The mission that we're still needing to do and God's calling us to do is still create disciples through those relational environments. That's what, how he's called us to move this community and this how we get into relationship with one another. So it's really no different. We just have more people, and we continue to need people. And there are people out here that continue to come who have been shut out and who have been either, for whatever reason, marginalized or whatever, who have been excluded before. And God's calling us to be, to open our arms and open our doors to bring them into that same community. But it takes all of us to do that. So there's nothing changed. It's just maybe we've changed or whatever, or maybe we need to do some changing, but it's not any different. We do it the same way, one person at a time in a relational environment. Okay. I love it. We're talking about a living parable. We're talking about a story that Jesus could be telling about somebody who was obedient. I think he has a couple of those stories. And we're talking about what happens in your life as you move step by step by step and listening to God. Listening to him when it's easy and listening to him when it's hard. And Michael, I know you've been sharing with me. You've been listening to God about some things. Why don't you go ahead and share? So over the last six months and uh, as we were the 10-year uh, anniversary of his coming. God has been over the last year or so really just stirring my heart and I've been able to figure it out. Uh, I've been searching and seeking and all kinds of things, but I just knew that there was something going on in me that I, I couldn't pinpoint, but I was needing to really seek God in many different areas of my life. And so um, in September, late September, our church staff got together to have a prayer night and a time of worship 
And I think some of my closest guys knew that I was struggling, but just, you know, couldn't really figure it out. And I kept telling them I didn't know what it was. Recently, Rosemary and I have went through some, some life changes. We've become empty nesters. And if any of you know us closely, you know how much we love our family and how we do family. And um, through that process, uh, we just came to find out, what, 14, 15 weeks ago when our grandson was born, that our kids, who we thought were going to come back and live in Moscow, and we had this house that we got, we thought this is what it's going to look like for years to come and whatnot. They came to us and basically just said, Mom, Dad, I don't know if we're going to move back to Moscow. We've got opportunities here that we just feel like we need to be here. And so for us, Rosemary and I, we're like, wow, that's something that we, I mean, there's always the potential, but we just didn't think it was going to happen. So we even started wrestling, what does this look like? So we said, you know what, let's pray about it and just see what God does. Four or five years from now, when the kids are a little bit older and he provides a way, we'll go. Because we don't have, there was no reason, there's no reason to leave here. This is my church family. This is, this is who we do life with. I'm leaving my very best friends and the only brother that I've ever had. Why would we, you know, we can't do that right now. So that night when we were together and we were worshiping and praising, Kelly said, hey, why don't you just kind of cry out to the Lord, like audibly. Just tell him what's on your heart. Just, just express whatever that is. And uh, I just remember just kind of feeling overwhelmed. And I just said, Lord, I need to feel that passion again. I need to feel that, that thing in me that I had when I first came down here. And Lord, you know the desires of my heart and what was going on within our family and just the struggles that I was dealing with. Uh, I just cried out to him. Well, it was three days later. I'm here early. Aaron comes to me and he says, hey, there's a guy that's going to give you a phone call. And it's about worship or do something. I, I don't even remember because I was like, whoa, hey, I didn't really understand it. We were kind of, it was weird. <clears throat> but I got that phone call uh, later that day. And they kind of proceeded, like said, hey, we think there might be some opportunities here up in Coeur d'Alene. And I know your family's up there and I know how much you love them. And I just wanted to run this by you. Aaron's given me permission to talk to you. So um, I remember going back to Aaron and having that conversation. Yeah, just sit right in front of me today. Hmm. What, I, what I thought I would hope I would hear was like, you can't go. No. Mm -mm. And what he said to me was he said, you need to pursue this with everything in you. If you feel that God is calling you and has opened the doors as hard as it would be for you to go, it'd be like a death to me. It would be wrong for me to say no. And so I didn't even know what to do at that point. I talked to my wife about this, and we said, all right. I didn't think that we thought three to five years from now, not three months or however what it was, that God would maybe open the door. And um, so we started to pray about it. And we just said, okay, Lord, don't be subtle about it. We got to clearly hear you. Now, understand that the desire of our hearts was wanting to be closer to our kids, but we still felt like we had to be responsible. So we just threw out some things to him and said, you know, I remember Aaron throwing out his fleece. And don't be subtle in how it happened so quickly and so fast. 
And we just threw some things out. When we told our kids, they were elated. They were elated. It's like something was going on that we didn't realize that then when they were telling us they needed us to be there for them, like there was this, it was even bigger than what we thought. I remember my son even saying, man, this sounds just like you coming like you did from Oregon to Coeur d'Alene and now you're coming here because he's been as a new father and just the relationship that we have, we've been growing closer and closer. Anyway, so we went through the things, we did all that and um, because of just being really uh, able and free and encouraged and as hard as it is, um, my wife and I have made a decision that we're going to be taking a job in Coeur d'Alene. And as hard as that is for us, because some, we don't feel like we're completely finished here and we have relationships with people. We know that we're going to a place that believes in the same thing, is to reach in the world for Jesus one person at a time. And that we do this in those relational environments so we still get to be a part of what we believe in. It's just going to be somewhere different. And, and, and again, we get to be with our, our family. And out of obedience, again, it seems like when we did it before, it was really scary because we didn't know what to expect. And this time God's opened the opportunity and we know what we're getting. And we're still being obedient to what we believe that he's calling our family to do at this time. So I hope you hear my heart in that. I love, uh, well, I don't love this. I ugly cried on Thursday. Uh, like when he started talking, I started to ugly cry. People are like, why is he crying? And just, uh, um, a father chasing after his son. Does that mean anything to anybody in here? Do you have a father in heaven who chases after his sons and daughters? Relationship matters. It's what God has founded his entire, the entire text on from beginning to end is how critical it is to be in a relationship. Not in a big building, not in comfortable chairs, not in all those things. This is great. But throughout the week, he's putting people around you in your lives in the hopes that you'd be able to have a relationship with him in the hopes that we'd be able to show off who our God is because he's worth showing off. He's worth showing off. And so uh, as we transition into communion, if you're serving communion, go ahead and, and run back there and, and get that. And we think of this picture of a, of a father and a son and sacrifice and commitment. Um, with communion in our church, it's an open communion. If you've uh, accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're chasing after him in your life, um, you know, we want you to partake with us. Just hold the elements uh, until we all take together. Uh, and and uh, we'll just honor the Lord with that. So I asked Michael as a co-founding pastor of this church, so Michael, uh, what would you want to leave your kids with here? You can write the implications of this sermon about relationship and that relationship matters and how we do it and in, 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 in make biblical disciples in relational environments. Michael, what are your, your words you want to leave with the people as a co-founding pastor? Well, it's going to sound pretty much like what we've talked about. Um, I would hope that we as a church 
that we'd still remain committed to making disciples. The Bible tells us, Jesus says, I will know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. And because of that, we'd be compelled to not settle for just this many people here. That I would, I would want five or six services because there's so many people out there that still haven't been brought into community. There are still people that are hurting, and the only way they get to see a better version of who Jesus is is through our testimony that can only happen when we're in those relational environments. Not just Sunday. Sunday's awesome. It's great. The music and celebrating and and hearing the teaching, it's amazing. But where we get to tell the story of who we believe our God to happens in those relational environments. So I would hope that we would continue to even be more have more passion to be on mission with God, and that's to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. The other thing is that we would take risk as people who say we love Jesus and Jesus is part of our lives to tell a better story with the story that we've been given that gives hope to other people. Our story gives hope to people, and, and there's something about people saying, man, you too? And that creates an environment where people want to come into that and they're invited into that, encouraged to be into that. That we would just tell this world a better story of who our God is. And sometimes that means getting into the really ugly, nasty places in life. But we know that we have hope through Jesus. And that's what the world needs to hear. That we just tell a better story. And then hopefully from this is that when God calls us as a church and individually, that we would, like Aaron said, that we would pursue it with everything that we have to see if it's God. And, that, and, and when we know it's God, that we would actually take action, that we would listen and move to whatever it is that God is telling us to do. And so as the community is being passed around, maybe there's a couple of questions. Are you making disciples? Are you investing in people? And who's investing in you? I wouldn't be here today if I wouldn't have this group of people here. I wouldn't. If they wouldn't have taken what God had called them to do and invest in my life. I believe that wholeheartedly. And we'd be committed to doing that. Maybe if you're not hearing God, maybe there's some things in your life that you can see. We know that God is everywhere, all the time, working everywhere. And all he's asking us is to join him. When I finally did that and moved my agenda away and joined him, God opened up the floodgates. So if there's things in your life that you're just not hearing God, maybe that's because you're not in relationship with people. Or whatever that might be, it's something that you need to have a conversation with the Lord. And then maybe today, maybe even today, God's already been asking you something to do. And for whatever reason, like, nope, I can't be a care group leader. Nope, I can't be a host home, whatever that is, that you would pursue it and figure out what it is to fix that. Because again, your story matters. God is good. Leave it up to him. He can take care of all those things when we feel inaccurate inaccurate to do that. But I'm just saying, whatever that looks like, if God has talked to somebody about it, pray about it, and then act upon it. So those are three things. Good word, brother. It's a good word. Michael shared with me that one of his favorite verses is Philippians 4, 7. And it says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You have fought an excellent fight here, Michael. 
you have not finished the race. You're still racing. You're going to be racing in Coeur d'Alene. You're going to be racing to change the world for Jesus one person at a time. And it's, a, it's an honor to uh, witness that and to see that. And so I uh, appreciate you modeling that for me. So as Jesus is with his disciples, getting ready to leave them for a little bit, um, he shares this and he, and he holds up the bread and he said, this is my body. Take it and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and he said, drink from it all of you. This is the blood of the covenant. Chase after the Lord. Chase after him. Father God, you have modeled so well through your text, through your parables, what it looks like to pursue people in relationships. I thank you for giving me additional models and guys like Michael and Aaron and, and other people in this church that have chased after you, Lord. They chased after you when it hurt. And Lord, uh, personally, this just wouldn't hurt if I didn't bleed with Michael so much and love life with him so much. And so, Father God, I just ask you to have your hand upon him and you bless him and his family. I ask you to continue to have his presence and, and his heart that is yours here upon this church, that we would be disciple makers, that we believe it's just one person at a time, that relationship does matter, Lord, and that we would chase it the way Michael chases it, and that we would chase it the way that you chase it. We would return to you like a father chasing after a son and a son returning to his father. So, Father God, we just ask for your hand upon uh, this time, and we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.